This is the Wealth Standard Radio, your gold standard in everything financial. Morning, everybody. This is Patrick Donahoe. Welcome to the Wealth Standard Radio. This is episode 176. And you're not going to want to miss this one. So this is uh, this was a, a, an interview recorded a few days ago, and it is with someone that I had actually come across in the last uh, last few months. Uh, and then I had this interview set up, so it was just an awesome coincidence. And his name is Todd Tresseter. And his website is www.financialmentor.com. And so the, the interview is amazing because we, we know a lot of the same people and he has been in financial services and publishing for a long time and has a great story. So the audio has just a, a little bit of issues, but let me just tell you, it is definitely worth sitting through because some of the stuff that we talked about was was highly valuable, and he's really smart, has a ton of experience, hit on some really good points, so you're definitely going to want to listen to this one. So with that being said, we're going to do an, uh, one more podcast for the year, but uh, I, this is such an awesome season, and I hope you guys are ending the year strong, but stick with us to next week, and uh, we'll be back with one last episode for the year. Todd, thank you a, a ton for uh, for being on uh, the Wolf Stranded Radio today. Well, thanks for having me on the show, Patrick. So the first first thing I wanted to do, Todd, is is maybe just kind of give give an idea of uh, give an idea to our listeners, like you know what you're doing, you know what what's your what's your day to day, like who are you? You know, we don't have to take a ton of time, but instead of me kind of going through your website or going through what you do, I just want you to kind of take that. Well, my answer is going to be boring, and it's not going to lure the reader or the listener, right? Because right now I'm a writer and a publisher, and I never thought I'd be married to a keyboard and a screen, which is what a writer and a publisher is is doing. Uh, That wasn't the game plan. What I'm doing is I'm producing courses of instruction on how to build wealth, how to invest smarter, things like that. That's what people should care about that are listening. Um, And where that all comes from is I'm trying to put Todd in a box, if you will, my knowledge in a box, um, so that it can get out to more people at an affordable price point. I've been coaching people for about 20 years, um, trying to figure out how to help ordinary people produce extraordinary financial results. I came from the hedge fund world, which is kind of the rocket science of paper asset investing. Um, I developed mathematical actuarial methods for investment. They actually worked. I tested, I'm not going to say everything that's out there, but I tested the bulk of investment strategies, and most of them failed. Very few things actually do work. Um, and that's what I teach, uh, based on you know twelve years of uh, modeling investment models in the markets, and then actually putting them into practice with real money. We had um, every year was profitable for the fund. We had one year where the investors actually lost a little bit of money, but the fund itself made money. It's just net of fees that lost a smidgen, and that was the year I had one model completely blow up due to a research error. Mm. Um, so that tells you just how robust everything. I had a massive, massive mistake built into that. The fund still made money, but yet our fees were large enough that it just slightly gave the investors just a, a fraction of one percent loss, and that was our absolute worst year ever. And you, and that was so that was that was a while ago. And you sold that fund, correct? You sold sold the business, and then kind of moved moved on. And it sounded like you know some other things changed in your life as well that you know kind of disrupted. I would say some of the finances. Uh, and then kind of put you on this course to kind of figure out what you're doing today, which is your you know kind of coaching business, the the financial mentor, correct? Yeah, life is never a perfect plan, right? And mm-hmm. so I had the hedge fund and um, got to a point where my partner and I weren't in sync on it anymore. We both kind of run our course, and I have a high value on personal growth, and I kind of learned what I was there to learn. I, 
you know, I, I could have spent another 10, 20 years doing it. If I was trying to maximize my wealth, I would have stayed in the business because that's certainly what would have paid me the best. Yep. But, um, you know, I just didn't want my tombstone to read. I made my rich clients richer. You know, I wanted to do something else with my life, and it wasn't fascinating to me anymore. I kind of figured it out down to the point. It was, you know, I was probably operating about 80% efficiency of what you can get out of the markets, mm-hmm. you know, for any given market condition. And I just kind of looked at it and said, okay, I understand it now. What, what do I really want to do with my life at this point? And so I fumbled around for a while. I had always, you know, I had worked my way through college, and so I never backpack through Europe and all that so I married my then girlfriend and we just put backpacks on and took off for six months for our honeymoon hmm. and vagabonded through Europe and the Middle East and I lived that adventure wow. I came back I was part of a hedge fund fund of funds operation and I hated it it was horrible it was the absolute wrong step for me um, bailed out of that and then took off and traveled through a little bit of Asia for a while Thailand Burma Again, just vagabonding and then kind of came back. And the fascinating thing was I kept reading books on personal finance and investing, and I didn't have to. I'm just, I'm hopelessly fascinated by the subject. I'm a nerd at this stuff. And and so even when I don't have to, I was still reading it. I'm always looking for that extra tidbit. And I realized that this is my life passion. This is what I want to do. And so I built Financial Mentor, which is the website we, you know, we'll talk about. I started building that back in 1998, and uh, it was just on this premise, can I help ordinary people do something really special with their lives financially, and that's where I've been ever since. And now you've taken it, and that's kind of how I, I found you as well, is that you, you know, you're writing a ton on your blog, there's a ton of content on your website that's, that's free, but I came across, came across it, I think I was searching for you know, like uh, uh, calculator APIs or something like that, and I came, I came across your site that has just... Like probably every calculator known known to man, well maybe not known yeah. to man, but there's definitely enough to keep you busy for for a while. But I came across that and just saw you know a lot of your philosophy, and then subscribed to uh, your newsletter and started getting emails. So I, I love I love what you're about. But maybe maybe what we can do is is to kind of box in what the objective of financial mentor is. Uh, is you're basically just trying to teach what you've learned, teach uh, you know some of the tidbits of the books that you've consumed over the years, uh, in order to help you know just an, an average individual uh, really kind of achieve some some idea of financial freedom or financial independence. So, I mean, is that am I am I on, am I on par there? Yeah, you're close. Okay, so I'm going to throw a little twist on it, and that is I'm trying to create what I wish had been in place when I was trying to learn all this stuff. In other words, you and I both know. I mean, you, you pick up a book, and what do you get? You get one good tidbit out of it if you're lucky, right? You blow through another book, and you get one or two tidbits or clever ideas. What I wanted to create was a soup-to-nuts instruction that began from beginner stage and went all the way through advanced stage, and it had it was cohesive, right? Like, you know, if you go in instruction, this is something everybody's frustrated by, is one expert will say, you know, your wealth is in stocks and you got to invest in stocks and it has the highest return. Look at the data. Next guy will say, well, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. It's, your wealth is in real estate mm-hmm. and it's real estate. They just, they say it's a lower return. That's because they understand it's done with leverage and they don't understand all the different sources of return. Mm-hmm. And the arguments go on and on and on and on. And nobody's ever been through it, put it into a cohesive plan and explained why all this stuff is half-truths, what are the full-truths, how the puzzle pieces fit together, and how you incorporate it into your plan, how you take action on it, and and produce results. You know, it's uh, it didn't exist. I had to 
I pelt through over a thousand books. You know, mm. I, I mean, I sold a massive pile of books on eBay. You know, I piled through books after books after books assembling this knowledge, and I wanted one source. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm creating one source. And it's interesting, you know, you look at, you know, there's there's so many, every every individual has a certain set of beliefs, certain set of skills, certain set of interests, uh, and, and that you really see in the thousands of books. It's, you know, it's really through one lens of the world, and you start to kind of put together all the different lenses but then when they're writing through, the, through that lens, you know, an author wants to you know, tell a person, well, you know, through my lens, you should do this. And, it, and that blanket statement, I've never enjoyed those blanket statements because you know, there's so many different you know, variables that could, could basically mean that it, it's, it may not be the right thing for you. So you kind of try to take all of that and really you know, create your own type of filter so it'll, so it'll basically provide a, a game plan or a map uh, for really any any, per, any perspective, is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah, pretty close. It's like there's there's right things to do in different circumstances. There's so much conditional half truths, and what you know, somebody's going to write a book. They're going to write it as if it's the one and only truth. Yeah, right. Like they've got the definitive answer to the one and only truth, and yeah. they're not going to say, "Well, it works in this situation, but it doesn't work over here." Yep. You know, and that's the problem is people aren't putting it together into a cohesive picture. So a great example is uh, my retirement planning checklist on the website, right? I break it down into what you should do by age categories. And so I say in your 20s and 30s, the one thing you got to figure out is how to save, you know, spend less than you make, increase your income so you maximize the gap, mm-hmm. and increase your savings rate, yep. right? So I get it down to one stupid little thing that you need to do right, right? Because in your 20s and 30s, you're not going to do anything else. You know, go ahead and max out your retirement plans, do the basics, but I get it like super simple into what you have to get at that point. And all the complex retirement planning stuff, you really don't have to know till you hit your 50s. Yep. You know, at that point, you have to really gear it up and you have to understand it. At that point, you're ready for it. Yep. Because, you, you know, you've raised your kids, you know, you've, you've had your house, you've done the basics, you've got enough background to where you can start digesting the more complicated stuff. But if you throw all that at a 20 or 30-year-old, they're not going to take action. Nope. And they don't have to. They don't have to know it. It's not relevant until later. So I'm giving that as an example. You know, or like investing. There's certain strategies that are applicable in the beginning for low dollar amounts. Mm-hmm. And then later on, as you got more dollars, you got to be more sophisticated. Mm-hmm. And when you're wealthy and you're trying to convert assets to cash flow, and you've got different strategies, that's different then. Yep. You've got to, you've got to understand how this stuff fits together. Yep. No, and there's different. St- and you're alluding to the different stages where you have building stage, you have income stage, you have you know, going from, you know, one objective to another. But you're right. I mean, we're in such a, we're in such a, 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 a quickly, quickly evolving and very disruptive uh, time in history with just so many different technologies changing, opportunities changing. I mean, there are jobs today that didn't exist five years ago. And that's gonna be the case in five, in five years. And so, you know, one thing that I love that we... Look at art industry. Wait a minute. Yeah. Just have fun with this. Look at art industry. The yeah. financial industry is like a major disruption. Huge disruption. Yeah. yeah. What financial advice is going through is what the record industry went through a few years ago, what yep. the publishing industry just went through, yep. and now it's hitting financial planning. I mean, it's massively disruptive. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that, you know, we didn't talk about this in advance of the podcast, but yeah, I mean, you had the Department of Labor ruling that came out and then you have this kind of huge push to, you know, robo advisors and these, you know, just groups that have been able to take, 
you know, no, no load, no fee type of, you know, ETFs and create kind of a balanced portfolio without talking to anybody. Everything is automated. And so you have that now that is so much, uh, it's, it's, it's not just the fact that you can, you can do it. It's because of how easy it is because before it's like, you need to talk to an advisor and you have to, you know, fill out this form and you have to do this and you have to do this. They, you know, these, these, this technology has really cut out all of the steps, but a few, they're making it so much easier uh, to do what the traditional financial advisor has done in the past. And so now what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw in a curveball, right? And that is um, all this stuff, whenever, whenever one door opens, another door closes, mm-hmm. right? And whenever a door closes, another door opens. And so you can be certain of one thing. The date that RoboAdvisor passive index asset allocation low cost, low cost will always be valid, right? Mm-hmm. That'll never go out of style. Mm-hmm. But as soon as an investment style becomes the one and only answer, and it's definitive across all resources, it's about the time it's probably not going to be the one and only answer going forward. Yep. And so, and you can look at this, for example, take the definitive truth as we know it today. Let's just have a little fun with this just for a second, okay. right? We'll diverge for a sec. Take this definitive truth of low-cost passive index asset allocation is the one and only answer. Now you got robo advisors bringing the cost down to Zippo. You've got even some people doing it for no no basis points at all, right? It's literally it's gone to an extreme, right? Mm-hmm. This is stuff that people used to pay a lot of money for the service, yep. right? And now you take that and you put it back in the 1920s or 1930s. If you look at the great example is you look at Gerald Loeb's uh, Your Battle for Investment for Survival. It's a book. It was uh, it was a bestseller. In 1935. Hmm. Now, to pick that date, notice the date, 1935. It's the di- the truth. In order for that book to become a bestseller, it has to become a truth in its time. In other words, the mass public has to agree with that message, right? Otherwise, it can't become a bestseller because people no. only read and understand what they already know. Yep. Right. And so, if you look at that book and read it, and everybody should do it. It's for free on the internet. You don't have to pay a dime. Nobody makes money off it because it's out of copyright, right? Go read that book and you'll see that the truth back in 1935 was 100% opposite what it is today, right? And that's because nobody could publish the truth today after the Great Depression. They mm-hmm. would have been laughed. Nobody mm-hmm. would have bought the book. Yep. And so truths go through cycles. Don't be blinded by today's definitive truth because it's not. It's just a version of reality. Mm-hmm. No, that's a great that's a great point, and that always that always changes, right? You look at, I mean, think think about kind of the crazy stuff that was done a couple hundred a couple hundred years ago, where they had all these kind of quirky beliefs. But then, if they were to get a, a, a perspective of of our day and age, I mean, how crazy is it just to think about the logic of you know kids getting on this whatever the internet is and playing video games, killing each other? I mean, to us, it's like, oh yeah, that's just a game; it's a video game or what. But you know, tell someone like that in the you know in the in the past, they're like, you guys are you guys are insane. So I think that and it's not just the true side of things; it's just the perspective you know of human life all, is always is always evolving. So you're right. I mean, even with this robo idea, you know, you do you do close one door to high fees and self interest, and you know the whole you know conflict of interest, like you know Goldman Sachs trading up against one another. I mean, you avoid some of that maybe, but then you also open the door to other issues as you're alluding to. So again, I think the, how about this? You open the door to manage market risk. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, there's, yeah, there's a ton of risk. (laughs) We're on on a period of 
you know, 30 years, 40 years, well, since 1973, you could probably plot the last real market bottom in 1973 yep. in terms of valuation. If you plot market bottoms based on valuation, not just prices, right? Mm -hmm. And the last true market bottom was probably 1973. And so you've got basically a 40-year period of uh, growing and elevated valuations. You've also got a 40-year period of declining interest rates. Mm -hmm. And so if that changes, what's that going to do to the passive inve investment philosophy, right? Yep. You've got to look at that. Yep. These are questions almost nobody considers. And yep. yet people are betting a lifetime of earnings on this quote-unquote, I'm holding air quotes if you can see me, quote-unquote truth, definitive truth as proven by research. And people look at 30, 40 years of research and they think that that's a definitive answer. And it's not because it's only one kind of market condition. If you, if you do research, I don't care if your sample size is statistically valid. If you do research in a time period that's only one type of market condition and other market conditions can exist, you will be absolutely blindsided. And the great example of that is long-term capital management. Long-term capital management was built by Nobel laureates and statistical PhDs. Their staff have like 17 or 18 PhDs at the time that they blew up. Yep. And they calculated their risk of failure as a 10 sigma event. Mm -hmm. It should occur once in the lifetime of the entire universe. And it happened. And it happened within years. <laughs> they blew up within years of yeah. opening the door. They blew up so big and so fast and so violently that it required Fed bailout to mm -hmm. take them out. Yep. And that's because they didn't understand basic market truths. Yep. Yeah, and they had to learn it that way. And, and still, you I mean, we can go up on a whole tangent on how that bailout created a philosophy of even more risk and the realization that, you know, the, the feds will come in and bail out uh, any type any type of error like they did in 2000, you know, 2008. There's a term for it. It's known as the Fed put. Yep. Right? In yep. the marketplace, there's actually a term for what you're talking about. It's called the Fed put. And yep. There's a belief. That's, that's where the buy the dip philosophy came from. But that buy the dip philosophy is a fairly new phenomenon that yeah. didn't exist in history. Yeah. Right, because in, in history, if you bought the dip, that was suicide. Yep. Right, because that's like tantamount to catching a falling knife. But in today's, <laughs> in today's markets, it works because of the Fed put. Mm -hmm. But I'll, I'll tell you this: when when I sold all my real estate in 2006, I had a large portfolio of apartment buildings. I sold all that's my right. real estate in 2006, and when I did it, there was a truth in the marketplace, just like there's a truth today. Mm -hmm. And the truth in the marketplace back then was real estate never goes down. You're old enough to remember that. Mm -hmm. Do you remember when everybody believed real estate never goes down? Yep. You never hear that again. I've never heard it spoken ever mm -hmm. since that point. Oh. Right? But that was a truth back then. Yep. And I was openly ridiculed and told I was an idiot for selling my real estate and paying tax on the gains mm -hmm. back in 2006. So you just got to be kind of savvy about this stuff and recognize that if everything goes one way. So it's just interesting you open the conversation with this thing about robo-advisors and the growth of passive investing and yep. how it's just become this definitive one-way truth. Yeah. And it's not. Uh -huh. It's a cyclical phenomenon. Yep. No, and that's where you know I think our, our philosophies kind of jive to an extent based on you know the conversation we were having before we started recording. Which is, you know, there's investing and then there's wealth building. And our philosophy has been, you know, investing always has, has risks. And some of them are known, some of them are unknown. Uh, the future is not the past. And there's so many different things that are going on right now that have never happened before. And we don't know how they're going to play into an investing strategy. And so really it comes down to what's, what do you have control over and what can you influence? And I think the only thing you have control over is you. And really you are 
valuable. If you have a job right now, somebody is paying you, which means you're of value to somebody else. And so the true wealth building that, that I always try to look at first, it, I think this is kind of like your found, your foundation, which is you know, you, you are a money press, right? You as a human being are like the Federal Reserve. You can print, you can print money. And I learned that from, from uh, and I know you're familiar with the Rich Dad organization, but I was at a, an event with, um, with Robert Kiyosaki, and that was one of the things that he was adamant about, which is, you know, you, you don't, don't end the Fed, be the Fed, which means go try to figure out a way to take who you are, learn something, and be a, valuable, be a value to somebody else. And being a valuable to somebody else, it never goes away, right? If people are willing to pay you more and pay you more and pay you more, it's, it, you know, really it's because of you developing something, whatever it is, uh, that is a value to somebody else. And that's right there is what you have control over. Now, the influence side of things is, you know, when you do your investing and you, you know, have education and you put money here and put money there. But in the end, can you control all of that? To a degree you can't, but I would say, you know, you, you influence it more than you can control it. So what's your take on that whole idea behind wealth building and, and investing? Well, I think there was about four podcasts in that little soliloquy there. Um, <laughs> let, me run, let me run with control first of all, and then we'll come into Okay, so the essence of investing is you're putting capital risk into an unknowable future, mm-hmm. right? And you have to be clear on those words. Those words weren't chosen at random. They're mm-hmm. not casual words. It's yep. an unknowable future. Mm-hmm. You have to be clear on that. There's four aspects to investing. You've got risk, reward, time, and costs. Of those three, you can control one you can't. Reward is ultimately the thing that everybody seeks, everybody's focused on, everybody you know, salivates over, and it the, gets the greed glands going, and it's the one thing you can't control because it's determined by the unknowable future. Mm-hmm. Risk is something you can control. You are in charge of it. You manage it before you put on the investment. You manage it while you have the investment. Ultimately, you manage it by terminating the investment. Mm-hmm. And so risk is something you can control at all times. Time you're in control of. You determine how long you invest for. You determine what you buy and sell. Mm-hmm. You're completely in control of the time component as long as you live, of course. Mm-hmm. And then the cost component is the, is one place where I very much agree with the Vanguard philosophy. You want to get cost down as much as you can because costs ultimately impact your compound return, mm-hmm. all other things be remaining the same. Mm-hmm. You want to treat costs as, you know, they must always add value in excess of what they take out of your pocket. You can mm-hmm. put more in your pocket than they take out. The cost you control. So the four components, you control three, one you don't. Interesting enough, the public always watch, is always focusing on the one thing they can't control. <laughs> the three they do control. Yeah, is that interesting? It's absolutely insane. It is, it's right? crazy. And yeah, and that's why the public generally produces not that great results. Yeah. Um, as evidenced by all the research out there. Yep. So this was the control factor. Now, another aspect in what you were talking about is source of wealth. I agree with you 100% in that you are your source of wealth. Um, you know, that's, I mean, that's just plainly obvious when you think about it, right? I mean, ultimately, all decisions you're making, even if, even if you're hiring an investment manager, ultimately, you're in charge of that decision to hire or, and or fire that investment manager. Mm-hmm. So all decisions are coming from you. Ultimately, you're responsible. And that has to be the, the grounding place you come from is self-responsibility. And that requires that you constantly hone and improve your skills around your decision-making, mm-hmm. right? Because it's your decisions that determine it. The path you choose in life determines the results you're going to produce, whether you chose to be an entrepreneur, a W-2 employee, whether you choose to produce, uh, pursue real estate or paper assets. So anyway, there were several things in what you're saying there. One was control, one was source of wealth. I wanted to hit on both of them. I think there was more, but those are the only two I can remember. <laughs> yeah, and that's where, you know, and I think it would be a good transition is, yeah, I mean, in, in the end, 
you know, and I think you allude to it in some of the things that you, you write about is, you know, as you build wealth and earn an income and you, you know, manage your expenses and you're a good steward, you know, over the money that's coming in, you take the difference and, you know, put it to the side. You, you invest it in, and hopefully grow it, grow it there. Still focusing really on your wealth building, which is your ability to produce. But then maybe, maybe touch on with, with the, the time we have remaining, you know, touch on this whole idea of, of passive investing because the idea of passive investing and, and retirement, because the, I, I think that just the idea that people have as, you know, what their end result is, is, is to retire, right? Which is to, you know, leave something that you were, you, I mean, you were producing, you were of value to somebody else to this point in time where you're on a beach playing golf, not really producing, so, and I know that you've experienced that personally, just uh, based on your story. But walk walk through just this kind of conundrum that you that, that's that I consider uh, as part of like this pre-retiree age of like fifty to, to fifty five, where they're planning to do nothing, or they're planning to you know have their uh, you know their their uh, retirement income and basically exit from the labor force, exit from the the the, the producing capacity that they have. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's, a myth. it's a myth, right? So what it is, I call, I've dubbed it the pro-leisure circuit, right? The pro-leisure the pro leisure circuit? Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. And the idea is that <laughs> well, I lived it, right? You know, so I'd go to skiing every day and play beach volleyball in the summer and mountain bike and all that. Yeah. And it sounds really cool, right? Like yeah. when, you, when you're working your tail off, you're working for the man, you're busting your rear 60 hours a week in a job, you hate your boss and all those things. The idea of life being a permanent vacation sounds really cool, yeah. right? Yeah. And you want to you want to do it, and yet that lasts. And it's been shown with retirees; it's, it's not some big secret. You know, it lasts six months, nine months, maybe out to a year and a half, depending on the individual. And then the the bloom is off the rose, so to speak. And what happens is uh, it's a very narcissistic lifestyle when your only focus is on how you entertain yourself. Humans have a much greater depth to them and we're more complex than that. If life was as simple, if happiness was as simple as just being self-entertained, this game would be way easier. And yet it's not. It's not. Um, Finding happiness and fulfillment is a very complex equation. There's things of contribution, connection. um, You know, what is it that drives you to wake up in the morning? If it's just to plan your ski day and when you're going to have cocktails in the afternoon, that's really cool as a vacation. Vacations are great. I'm not any vacation. I, I probably it varies year to year. I usually take about three, four months off a year. Wow. Okay, varies. So like I did a two month trip to Europe with my family last summer. We hiked the Camino de Santiago. We traveled through parts of Europe before and after that trip. Um, I probably already yeah. I'll probably have about four months of vacation this year. That's awesome. So I'm very much into vacation, but vacation is really satisfying only in the context of meaningful work. Uh, meaningful work is an integral, essential part of, of a successful, fulfilling lifestyle. And so, you know, people will often ask me, well, Todd, why do you build a financial matter? It's because it's part of a complete life. You know, it's it's my give back. It's my connection. It's my community. It's my purpose in life. Hmm. No, and that's, I mean, I couldn't, 
you said it in a way, an eloquent way that I, you know, I would, I would uh, definitely not be able to to repeat the in the same manner. But I, you know, that that's how that's what I've that's what I've experienced, and I've experienced it just with you know the idea of life and what gives you fulfillment. And it's always you know in relation to uh, you uh, with other people, whether it's your family, whether it's the community. Uh, but I think we're naturally wired to you know to do something that we're passionate about, to do something that is productive for somebody else. That idea of contribution that you were alluding to, and I don't think people realize that when they're at their employment, they don't. They, they look at you know a lot of the downside, the negative, and working for working for the man, but they don't realize you know the significance of being around people uh, and interacting with people and forming relationships. Relationships and being of value and being of service for somebody else. So that's where you know when they lose when they lose that and they retire, you know, life essentially loses a lot of its a lot of its meaning uh, because you can't be fulfilled in just you know what what you call the leisure activities. And so that's and that's what's interesting. So what you know as you're coaching uh, and being a mentor to those maybe who are going through that transition, what do you try to walk them through? So they're you know they're 55 or or 60 and they have you know maybe two or three or five years left and they're trying to figure out, you know, how to retire. I mean, what do you, maybe, you know, you can go through the financial strategies that exist, but, you know, maybe what are you coaching them through as far as finding something that could, uh, you know, they can be productive or do meaningful work in their retirement? I always focus, I, I try to bring the client back to where do they want to go toward, not what they're trying to get away from. Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah, so what, what, Retirement done right or early retirement, it's called FIRE now, right? Financial independence, retire early is kind of like this movement, if you will, the FIRE movement. And because retirement's really a misnomer, right? When people think of retirement, that's another myth. Uh, when people think of retirement, they think of laying in a hammock and having an umbrella drink. And it's just, it's not what retirement's about. Retirement's where you're not having to be attached to your earned income so you can go off and pursue what's really meaningful to you in life. Um, and that's that's really financial independence at any age. It's not retirement. It's not old. It's not any of those things, right? Despite my gray hair, but again, I've been at this game for about twenty years. Um, so, um, what I do is I work with a client to understand what they want to go toward, and that makes the transition out of where they're at almost seamless. Mm-hmm. When you know where you want to go to. The dangerous ones, the ones that fall flat on their face, are typically the ones that are trying to get away from something. Because when you get away from something, you enter the void once you leave it. And it's that (laughs) void, that existential void, that just is this gap that creates unhappiness. And it's, it's much harder to work it out when you're stuck in the void than it is if you work it out and start playing with ideas while you're still... In, you know, in your current occupation. Yeah. And so I work with clients to just start experimenting, you know, just pursue whatever interests them, uh, chase their dreams, chase their curiosity, and just tinker with it and see what holds their interest in a way that doesn't let go of them. Mm-hmm. You have to find something that won't let go of you. Much like with me, you know, earlier in the interview, I explained to you how all this financial stuff wouldn't let go of me. Yeah. It's like, it's like Monopoly for adults, yep. you know, it's like playing Monopoly. It's this amazing game, mm-hmm. and I'm fascinated by it. It brings me connection with people because it's it's really in the end, it's all about people, yep. you know. And so, anyway, that was my little fascination trigger. Everybody huh. else is different. Yeah, no, I love how you I love how you frame that, and I think you know it's it's interesting. There are there are people that are trying to escape, but yet you know the the comfort of certainty kind of keeps them in whether it's a profession or a job title or whatever for for so long because of you know fear of the unknown 
I mean, it's amazing what what fear, what how fear influences uh, really everybody. But in the end, I think there's you know, as and this is my opinion. I'd love to get your take on it as we kind of conclude the podcast. But you know, my my take is there's something inside of everybody, right? That that gives them fulfillment. That's unique about that's unique about them. That when they do it, you know, and that's just what I kind of consider the financial independence side of things is if they discover that and, you know, they're contributing and creating value uh, based on that unique thing that is, that is uh, you know, relevant to them, that, that's really the, you know, I think it's an inside of everybody. And if somebody can discover that, then they're never going to retire. So why, because you wouldn't retire from something that gives you the most fulfillment. Correct. Yeah. So like financial matters an example, I'll probably never retire from it. You know, I don't want to, you know, sit married to a keyboard forever. I want to build it to a point, um, and I want to be part of it. Um, I'm hoping to bring in, you know, a team of other people, whatever. So it's not like I want to be married to it, but I also don't see a point of retiring from it. There's nothing to retire away from. Yeah. I'm creating. I'm creating what I want. Yeah. I want to be a part of it. Yeah. I don't know if you. I mean, you, you probably know the Dow Theory and R- Richard Russell. Um, but it, it was interesting because I'm I'm really really good friends with uh, his protege that was really uh, part part of kind of the the, the transition uh, before he before he passed away earlier this year and and Matt Kirkhoff you know he he would I mean even the, you know Rich Russell he's a really old guy and he's been at you know the Dow Theory for you know decades but yet he was still involved he was still researching he was still writing. Right, right up until like the the end. So it's amazing that once you discover that vein, it's something you never want to, you know, you never want to go away from. And I think that if people realize that, you know, it may not be for them writing, or it may not be teaching, or it may not be, you know, something that another person is doing, but there is some, there is something. I think once you can discover that, right, your world, your world totally changes, especially retirement. So I have. I have two podcasts if people want to learn more on that. I have one where I interviewed uh, Cal Newport about the myth of the passion theory, right? And so we go through all about how passion is a bad idea to pursue mm-hmm. and what the alternatives are. And it's probably more than we can go into here. Yeah. Um, but anyway, there's that podcast. And then another one was Tess Bigland from uh, NPR Money Fame. Mm-hmm. And she wrote a book called Leap. And it's all about taking the leap, if you will. And she did a bunch of interviews, and she and I tore that apart as well. Cool. And so if people are really into that subject, there's two relevant podcasts uh, that you can link up to in the show notes or whatever that people would find interesting. Okay. Well, yeah, we'll link. I'm going to link to some of the things that you've said. Well, probably all the things that you've said, as well as your website. Uh, let's let's end with let's end with this, Todd. If you don't if you don't mind. So why don't you you know tell tell listeners how they can learn more about your courses. Uh, and and then the last question will be just you know maybe some uh, uh, some some advice that you would have as people are ending their year and starting their their new year. All right, we'll take the first one first. Okay. If people, if people enjoy the interview, they want to learn more. Uh, my website is financialmentor.com. Financialmentor.com, and uh, I give away a free book and a free course called Fifty Two Weeks to Financial Freedom for anybody that signs up and wants to you know stay up to date with what I'm developing there. The cost is zero. No, you won't get rich in a year, despite the title. What you will do is see the framework that everybody travels through that I've developed. It's a seven-step process that really everybody goes through in the process of building wealth. Um, and so uh, you get to learn that for free. It's just a framework. And that gets delivered in an email uh, sequence. It's just a relationship builder just so you can get my message and decide if you like what I'm doing or not. Um, so anyway, that's for free over at the website. And then in terms of what people should do for the year, uh, going to the new year, uh, make a plan. 
Those people don't have a plan. They haven't gotten clear on what they want to create, where they want to go, what they want to do with their lives, um, what is their dream life, how are they going to engineer their way to get there. This stuff's possible. This isn't just you and I just shooting the breeze. You can really lead the life you want. You can create what you want. You may have to pay a price to get there, but you can do it, and you just have to design a plan and engineer it to get there and then take action on it. Yeah. No, look, I mean, just, you know, look out our window, look around our room. It's like, it's proof that anything is possible. I mean, looking at how quickly our world is evolving and the technology that exists and what scientists are working on and computing power and, you know, all it's a, it's just unbel- it's an amazing time to be alive. It's an un- unbelievable society that we, we live in. And despite, you know, some of the, the downsides people think exist, um, it, there's still so much opportunity and so many things to, uh, you know, to be excited about. Um, there's always difficulty. Yeah. Every every time period has difficulty. Every time period has crooked politicians and has uh, power brokers and, and dishonest businesses and all this stuff that everybody complains about has always been here and it'll always be here. Yeah. And meanwhile, life goes on. Yep. You know, and you're only going to live so long. I the more I do this, you know, the more I do this, the long, the more I realize that the first part is just believing you can actually do it. Yeah. You know, you have to just like I actually interview people in my course. And I found that the one thing that they all had in common was they had some point at which they decided they actually were going to do it. And they could actually do it. And that's when they decided to engineer their plan to get there. Yep. And and that's, so that's the starting point. And that's what I would focus on New Year's, just deciding, are you just going to do more, more of the same, you know, and just have more of the same result and pursue financial mediocrity? Mm-hmm. Or are you going to just decide, I'm going to do something about it? Yep. Yeah, because mediocrity, we all know where that ends. And it's not it's not pretty. And, you know, I think that, you know, the the idea of pain or maybe not pain, but, you know, resistance, it allows us really to to use our mind and to innovate. I heard an interesting, interesting comparison recently It was actually by uh, Bill Bonner. Uh, So I've been rereading one of his uh, one of his books. And he talked about the difference between Haiti and Switzerland. And and the example he you know the example was you know in Haiti there's so many resources you have you know beautiful weather you have fertile soil you have beautiful beaches right and then in Switzerland right you have a few nice months out of the year but everything else is you know winter uh, and very you know short harvest season but it's one of the richest country in the world whereas Haiti is one of the poorest countries in the world and so we use the difference of you know it's not about the amount of resources that exist it's about a human's ability to be resourceful. And yeah, so the idea, yeah, so it's, it's, it's this idea where, you know, there's so many, I mean, look around us right now. It's like, if you, you know, go back a hundred years and look at what life was like, and then look at our lives right now. I mean, there's, there should be nothing to complain about, but yet we still do. But I would say that there's so many resources today, but the idea of resistance, the idea of pain is to tell you, wow, you should probably do something and be resourceful with with the environment that's surrounding you, because that, in the end, is what really creates wealth. It creates fulfillment. It creates success. It's not the resource itself. Yeah, a lot of people like to discount this stuff and say, "Oh, it's because he had an Ivy League education, or he got lucky, or yeah. he just happened to know the right people." And so, the way I like to dismiss that is, I'll say, "Okay, you take a guy who just got lucky or pursued life." in a certain way and it worked out for him if he lived a thousand lifetimes he might have one or two where he was successful if you take somebody who does what we're saying here which is you develop a solid plan it's engineered based on proper principles you pursue proper risk management disciplines in the plan and you execute it daily out of a thousand lifetimes you're going to get 998 or a thousand that are successful 
Whereas the other guy, he's going to get this randomly distributed result. So like we were saying financial mediocrity, I would actually recoin that and say that most people just get random distribution of results, right? Yeah. They just get random results because they lead a random life. Yep. Some, get luck, some don't. That's why people think it's luck. But if you take it and you plan it out, you get the principles right, you use risk management disciplines and you do it, you can get a predictable result. Yeah. It's doable. Yeah. No, it's the value of structure. Right, human beings. It's kind of, we have this kind of like weird relationship with with structure and authority. Right, it's kind of like it. The structure oftentimes is what leads us through, you know, a, a path to mitigate risk and achieve something. But then, you know, we also don't like structure because we hate being told what to do. So it's this weird relationship that we have. But most people, you know, you, you got to realize it's structure. Whether it's you know having a, a financial statement or whether it's having you know a tool to rein in spending or have a budget or or to uh, pursue this type of path and you know mitigate the the human behavior that's the you know internal rea- you know immediate gut reaction which. You know, if you make a decision off of that, it's not always that great. So it's this idea of, you know, yeah, it's just the idea of structure, right? You have to, you have to marry the idea of structure and, and have it kind of be a part of what, you know, whether it's your goal setting, your financial plan or whatever. Yeah. Structure is freedom. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What is music without structure? You have cacophony. You have noise. Yeah. You don't have harmony. What is life without structure? You have chaos. You have randomness. Yep. Structure is freedom. If you don't pursue structure in a disciplined fashion, you will get random results. I love it. All right, Todd. Well, we could probably go on for – we could probably pull like a Joe Rogan or a Tim Ferriss five-hour podcast, but I'm sure you got better things to do than, than that. But it, we, we got to do this again. Todd, it was awesome awesome to have you on. Thank you so much for, for your time. And uh, everyone, we'll, we'll go to the show notes uh, on the wellstandard.com and it, it'll have some of the books that we've referenced. It'll have Todd's site on there. Uh, and, uh, so just, just go there to, to access those. Uh, but Todd, I'll give you the, the final, final word. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Todd. Well, it was great. Uh, great to have you on. We'll, uh, well, we'll talk to everyone uh, next week. Thanks for listening in. You've been listening to the wealth standard radio show, your gold standard in everything financial.